My name is Caleb Gabrelli, and I'm the missions pastor here at Grace Point. You heard Randy mention um, that our lead pastor, Mike McDaniel, is going into his study time. Just to be clear, because we're all on social media, he has been on vacation, uh, but he is now going into his study time. So we ask that you guys just be praying for him as he is getting to spend time alone with the Lord and really listen in to what God is teaching him. And then he pre- he's preparing to come back here and lead our church and just talk through different message series and that sort of thing. And so he's asked me to speak today and we are going to spend our time together looking at the response of a man in God's word who God revealed his plan and mission to. And so this entire story is really just a foreshadowing of Jesus and how he delivered all people from the bondage of sin. But I believe that this is gonna be a good challenge for us to consider where we are in God's plan and his mission. And so if you were with us last week, Lori McDaniel, she did an incredible job um, talking through four main questions. And she started off by saying that questions have the power to reveal truth. And so we wrestled through four tough questions. She asked, what are you doing regarding the will of God? What are you doing regarding the work of God? What are you doing regarding the will of God and what are you doing, I'm sorry, the word of God and what are you doing regarding the worth of God? And if you weren't with us, um, that could come across as like, hey, you need to be doing more. Uh, you, You need to be doing all these things. You're not doing enough, but it wasn't that at all. So I would encourage you, go to our webpage, listen to the message, download our app, listen to the message, get it on Vimeo, whatever resource that you guys wanna use, but I'd strongly encourage you, go back and listen to that message. But this morning, I want to start with this, and this ends in a question as well. God has a plan and a mission. Where are you? God has a plan and a mission. Where are you? So here's what I want to do. We are going to cover a lot of scripture, and uh, we've, we've got a long ways to go before really we get to kind of the main points of this story, but I just want to process through this together. And so if you're taking notes, get out a notepad, uh, use the Bible app. There's some instructions in the bottom of your worship guide, your bulletin, that'll walk you through how you can take notes on the Bible app. But uh, if I get going too quickly at times, just jot down some notes, go back, read through some of this stuff later. But to get to where we are going, we're going to look at the, the biblical context of where we are. And let me just pray. Let me pray before we dig in. We, we pray before we eat. Um, just kind of a habit of mine. I want to pray before we feast on God's word. So will you bow your heads, pray with me. Father, thank you. Uh, God, thank you for preparing our hearts with um, just the ability to worship through song. God, adoration and confession. God, our prayer time together. God, but now as we open up truth from your word, um, God, I ask that you would just awaken our hearts as only you have the ability to do. God, let us walk away from truth from your word with application, God. And and Randy nailed it, God. We wanna know more about you. We wanna learn more about man. But God, let us walk away from this challenged to change, challenged to follow a command. Father, it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, Exodus chapter three, if you guys just wanna go ahead and get your Bibles open, that's where we are going to focus. But again, I I wanna talk through where we are in the Bible. And so we're gonna start at the very beginning because that's where we're we're ending up anyway, is not far from it. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the the book of Genesis, it ends in blessing. It finishes up 
and blessing. In Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And through this covenant is where God says, leave your country, leave your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you just to write down that word go, put it in all caps. If you've got a great memory, log that one away because we're gonna come back to it. But God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You can find this in Genesis chapter 12. It's known as the Abrahamic covenant. But through Genesis, this covenant was continued as it was passed down through Abraham's son, Isaac, and then on to Isaac's son, Jacob, whose name God changed to Israel. And so stay with me. Jacob, who we know as Israel, has 12 sons, who, who we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. And many of you know the story of one of his youngest sons, Joseph, who ultimately ends up serving alongside the king of Egypt, He has incredible power and authority throughout all the land. Genesis ends with the tribes of Israel being blessed through the ministry and the circumstances around the life of Joseph. The book of Genesis ends in blessing. It finishes up in blessing. Second book of the Bible. As soon as you open up Exodus, we find the Israelites are in bondage. We start out in bondage. Exodus chapter one, verse six through 11. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. And then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And so just that quickly in the Bible, we go from ending Genesis in blessing. We're up here in this high note. The the tribes of, of Israel are being blessed around the ministry and the circumstances surrounding the life of Joseph. But suddenly when we start in Exodus, we find the Israelites in bondage. They are slaves to the Egyptians. But then there's this incredible story of a Hebrew baby boy that is born. And this almost sounds like a movie trailer. But to prevent this baby boy from being murdered by the wicked order of the Egyptian Pharaoh, the baby boy's mom places him in a basket, takes him in the basket and pushes him out onto a river where ironically, this baby boy is found and brought up in the house of Pharaoh's daughter. The same Pharaoh that was doing some population control and issued that these baby boys be murdered as soon as they are born. And I've heard several things here recently referred to as ironic, just in the realm of ministry and different circumstances that people are going through. And I came across this quote. This is David Mathis. He's he's an editor for DesiringGod.org. And he wrote, for the Christian, life's ironies are pregnant with meaning. They aren't just humorously coincidental and then ultimately empty. They are profoundly personal. They are pinpricks in the veil, little reminders that every moment and every detail are known and ordained by a personal God who's in and beneath all the minutia, working all things, even and especially life's most tragic ironies for our everlasting good. 
I don't believe that anything is ironic for our God. Amen. There's no, there's no such thing as ironic. There's no, oh man, that was just a coincidence. Many of you, you know the story that unfolded for this baby boy that we know as Moses. The first 40 years of his life, he's being educated and being brought up in the Egyptian palace. The first 40 years of his life. But when he's about 40 years old, he sees his own people being mistreated as slaves. There's an Egyptian that's beating a Hebrew. And Moses steps in and he ends up killing this Egyptian. He murders him. And the text says that he hides the body in the sand. And then he gets scared because he finds out that news of his murder had spread. Rightly so, I'd be afraid too. But he runs away. And he ends up in this dry and desolate place. Long story short, he marries, he has children, and he becomes a shepherd of sheep. That's, that's a lot. Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12 Genesis ends in blessing. Exodus begins in bondage. Suddenly Moses, who's being brought up in the Egyptian palace, has fled at 40 years old. And later we find out in scripture that he was a shepherd of sheep for 40 years. If you're not familiar with any of that, I strongly encourage you go back and read through Genesis and read through the beginning of Exodus. Or if you just haven't been there in a long time in God's word, go back and read it. But know this as we move forward, God has a plan and a mission. And so Exodus 2, verse 23, we're going to roll right in to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 2, 23, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. There's the importance of the covenant coming into play already. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. That's our father right there in the Old Testament who is concerned about his people. And so we are about to see him reveal his plan and his mission to deliver them. This is the same God throughout the entire narrative of the Bible. The same God that we see in the New Testament come down and take on flesh and go to the cross on our behalf that we might be rescued and then he reveals his plan and mission through Jesus Christ. Chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, here I am. And I don't know if like God was speaking in that voice that we wanna think about where he's like, Moses, Moses, I, I don't know. But what I also don't know is Moses, when he responds, here I am, was Moses like real schemishly? What was, was, was he like, oh, don't, don't ask me to do something. Here, here I am. Or, or maybe Moses was like, uh, when you put your name in a drawing, you know, and they call your name and God's like, Moses, Moses, here I am, here I am. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that he responds quickly to God. 
And I know that there are times in my life when I have quickly said, God, here I am. But I'm not sure I was readily available for God. And I think that we're going to see the same potential response here in Moses. So be very careful saying, here I am. If you're not ready to listen to what God has to say to you. I I believe that hearing and listening, especially right here in this story, is separated by a willingness to obey. And so let me say that one more time. Be very careful saying to God, here I am, if you're not ready to listen to what God has to say to you. Exodus chapter three, verse five. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now this isn't huge, but just note here, the place where Moses is standing, the the dirt, the, the area of the mountain that he's on, there's nothing holy about it. But I once heard someone say, where God shows up, his nature makes that place holy. Where God shows up, his nature makes that place holy. Let's keep going. God is about to give himself a short but powerful introduction. In verse six, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty powerful introduction. And note here that God didn't say, I was the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he says, I am, I am. These men are alive. Obviously not physically on the earth, but they are alive with our creator, our king. And maybe by the way that God gave this introduction, it was done to give Moses even more strength and hope for an eternal future. Because of Christ, the dead will rise, amen? Jesus himself, he referenced this account between God and Moses in Mark 12, 26 and 27. Jesus said, now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I love that. Spend some time later on today in adoration of the God that we worship being the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Immediately following this powerful introduction in verse six, Moses was afraid to look. He's afraid to look at God. And so what does he do? He hides his face. Was Moses ashamed and that's why he hid his face? Maybe. Maybe. The word hid is interesting because the last time that Moses hid something, it was the body of a man that he murdered and he hid him in the sand. And so I'm wondering in this encounter between Moses and God at this burning bush, if all of this sin just came rushing back and flooding through Moses's mind, weighing him down with guilt and heaviness. And here Moses finds himself, sinful Moses, in the presence of a holy God, where God shows up, right? His nature makes that place holy. Moses is in a holy place. And I don't know if maybe it wasn't shame of fear or past sins at all. Maybe it's even more of a godly, healthy fear that he has of a holy God. 
You know what's interesting? The more we understand of God and the more we see of God and all of his goodness, his glory, his greatness, and his grace, the more reason we have to worship him with a reverence and godly fear. You guys have permission through this next part of the passage to highlight or underline or draw in your Bibles. I just spent time in a culture that would find that really wrong, but I'd encourage you, highlight, circle, underline through these next four verses every time you hear God say, I, me, or my. Every time you see it, every time you hear it, put a highlight on it. Verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In my NIV text, you guys might be reading out of something different, but in the NIV that I'm using, nine times in these four verses, God makes it abundantly clear that this is about him. God has a plan and this is his mission and he is assigning it to Moses. And in verse 10, God says, go. There's that word again. The the previous time that we just looked at that, he told Abraham to go and there was a promise that followed his instruction. I feel like God said, go. And Abraham says, here I am. Great, go, I am sending you. Go, I am sending you to bring my people out of Egypt. And so let's face it, God had every right to go straight from his introduction of, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, straight into go. This This is God that we're talking about. He didn't have to justify all the reasons that he was sending Moses, but he did. Again, our father Throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, he shows concern for the hurting and the suffering and for those in captivity. Physical bondage in the Old Testament when people need rescued, the bondage to sin in the New Testament when Christ comes to rescue. And so now is when the story really begins to hit close to home. We've just seen God reveal his plan and his mission. So what's the holdup, Moses? What's the holdup? What, what, what's it going to be? What, what, what do you got? And we're going to take a look at five responses that we see Moses give to God and just briefly look at how God addresses each one of those. But let me just kind of preface it with this. This isn't something that I am speaking to you all this morning and say, hey, pay very careful attention to what Moses responded here to God because I think you all are responding that way. This is how I most often find myself responding to God when he is prompting me to do something, when he is saying, Caleb, go, I am sending you. Verse 11, Moses, excuse me, but Moses said to God, 
Let's pause right there for just a second. But Moses said to God in verse 11, when God just gave this big introduction and said, go, I am sending you. When the very next verse starts with, but you know, something's getting ready to go down. And for, for all of you that have said this to a parent or had a child say this to you, this drives you kind of crazy. You give them instruction and they say, but dad, yeah, but mom, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses, are you serious? The God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who just called out to you from a burning bush that wasn't even burning. The God that you were just hiding your face from either because of shame or holy reverence just revealed his plan and his mission to you. And he told you to go because he is sending you and your response is, who am I? Man, Moses, this isn't about you. Number one, he is self-centered. This is the first holdup. This is the first excuse that we see right away. He is self-centered. He is likely so focused on himself that even when the God of the universe is giving him a command, all Moses can think about are the capabilities that he lacks. And so let me ask you a tough question. And it's not a question that I haven't asked myself. Are you struggling to understand that this world isn't about you? And I know that's tough and I know that that can be in your face, but God has a plan and a mission and we need to push back every single day against our nature to become inward focused and self-centered. God has a plan and a mission. So how does God reassure Moses? What's his response? And I'm paraphrasing through a lot of this. You guys are going to be able to see what's going on here. But God basically says, hey, it's not about you. It's not about your capabilities at all. And God says, I will be with you. And that that had to have been a tough response for Moses to hear because Moses is like, "Uh, man, who am I? And God doesn't tell him who he is. He just says, I will be with you. This isn't about you. This is about me. I will be with you. Verse 13 Moses decides to kind of throw another one back at God. And he says, hey, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And so Moses, he he, he doesn't just question his own capability, but now he's basically saying that he doesn't know God well enough. You see, in in ancient history times, people thought, okay, if you know your God intimately and personally, then you'll have a personal name for your God. And maybe the best I can come up with, and I I was texting my dad about this this morning. Do you ever call someone something that isn't what they go by, but you've developed a relationship with them to the point where, man, it just fits and it just sticks. There's a a guy that my dad became best buddies with in college and our last name's Gabrelli. And he just started calling my dad Gabe. And my dad's never gone by Gabe. And really no one calls him Gabe except this one guy. And he just, he calls him Gabe. It's his, it's my dad's personal name for his best friend from college named Griff. Hey, Gabe, how you doing? But this is the second holdup we see of Moses. He's saying, God, I don't know you well enough. I need a name for you. 
And maybe there's some legitimacy to Moses saying, hey, I'm not sure I know you well enough yet, God. But you can still hear this, this kind of selfish, whiny, kind of full of excuses undertone that Moses is speaking to God with. And so God says, I am who I am. And that's what you can say to the Israelites. I am, remember, not I was, I am has sent me to you. God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord Pause there for a second. The Hebrew for this is Yahweh. God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh. There's your personal name, Moses. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And so God knows that Moses throws up another excuse. And so he gives him a personal name. Yahweh, tell them that Yahweh sent you. Do you ever find yourself responding with excuse after excuse for not participating in something that God might be prompting you to do simply because you worry and you get anxious that you don't know enough? God has a plan and a mission. This interaction between Moses and God, it continues into chapter four. Again, I'm paraphrasing through a lot of this. But in verse one of chapter four, Moses runs his mouth again. And he says, okay, I just feel like Moses is going like one after another. Hey, I got another one for you here, God. And he says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And so we've got our third excuse. Now Moses is worried about his credibility Moses is worried about his lack of authority to speak to these people. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a direct correlation here between the fact that Moses has now listed three really lame excuses. And so what does God do? He equips him with three miraculous signs. He gives him three signs that are sure to demonstrate authority and provide assurance among these people. Three excuses, all right, here's three incredible signs. And I'm not gonna dig into them, but they are pretty incredible. Go read through those in Exodus chapter four. But these are tools that God has just given to Moses. And he is assuring Moses that God will work through him. Now, I don't believe that God is affirming Moses by saying, hey, bro, you got this. Moses, man, you can do this. I believe it's more than that. I believe that God is saying, I will work through you. I will. I am is sending you. I've given you a personal name, Yahweh. I will work through you. Here's three incredible signs that I've given you. God has a plan and a mission. So Moses has now tried to avoid that plan and mission with three holdups, three excuses, believe it or not, He's not done yet. Right after God gives him these three incredible signs. Again, paraphrasing, verse 10 of chapter four, Moses just kind of says, eh, listen, God, I've never been eloquent of speech. And so, you know, there's that. If I I can't talk well, how are you gonna send me? And I'm pretty sure Moses is like, I've got him stumped on this one. What's he gonna do? I'm not eloquent of speech. So number four, I'm not a communicator. In verse 11, 
is where I believe we begin to see God getting tired of Moses's excuses and his whining. And so this is what the Lord says to him in verse 11. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. There's that word again, go. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. In other words, the the message here is more important than the delivery. Maybe more important than the deliverer, obviously more important than Moses himself, right? Get going already. I don't care whether or not you feel like a communicator. I have given you my plan. I have given you my mission. Enough with the excuses. Now go. Last month, my, uh, my 10-year-old son, Tate, he finished up his, uh, his baseball season. And we just played City League Baseball, 9 and 10-year-olds. And it, it was so incredible to see these 9 and 10-year-olds go from learning how to throw and how to catch from practice number one to the end of the season where they're arguing balls and strikes at the plate and they strike out and they come back to the dugout and they're like, that was so far outside. And I'm like, how do you even know what outside is, you know? But these kids are nine and 10 and I coached the team. Patrick Willis helped coach. Randy Willis helped coach. You want to see a guy that's competitive with nine and 10 year old baseball players? Randy's rather entertaining. You guys should come to some of the games. But one game that I will never forget just this season We've got a runner on first. And in this league, you can't just steal the bases anytime you want. It's called closed bases. You have to wait until the pitcher throws the ball, the ball crosses the plate. And then if you're like our team, you wait until the catcher bobbles it a little bit and then you steal. And so we've got a runner on first in this one particular game. And the pitcher throws the ball and the catcher misses it. I mean, it goes clear back to the backstop. And I'm in the dugout and I'm thinking, oh, sweet, here's an easy base. And the kid will go to second. And I see him take a couple steps off the bag and he doesn't go. And I'm thinking, why are you not going? And Coach Patrick, who's coaching first base, he looks at the boy and the boy walks back after the catcher gets the ball back to the pitcher and he says, why didn't you go? And this little boy, he looks up at Coach Patrick and he says, I make my own smoothies. (laughs) And in between innings, Coach Patrick, he's telling me this. And I said, he said, what? And he goes, yeah, he came walking back to the base. And Coach Patrick was way more calm than I would have been. He goes, why didn't you go? I make my own smoothies, Coach. I don't even know what that meant. I don't. I don't know what world the kid was living in. I, I, I don't know what was going through his head. I just wanted to get a hold of him and say, son, we are playing baseball here. And we have practiced this for hours and hours. We've implemented this in games. You've watched as your other players have all gone when we've told them to go. And you've watched as the ball went a mile past the catcher when we didn't have to tell them to go. You just knew it's time to go. And when it comes time for you to run and you don't go, your response is, I make my own smoothies. I feel like God said to Moses, go. And Moses just looks up to God and says, I make my own smoothies. (laughs) He's given him these four ridiculous, worrisome, whiny excuses. And we're not even quite finished yet. There's a fifth. In verse 13, Moses just plainly says, 
Lord, please send someone else to do it. I I don't know if Moses is done trying to justify the reasons why he shouldn't go. And so he finally just says, God, please send someone else to do it. But this tells me, number five, I'm not available. I feel like Moses is saying, God, I'm, I'm not available. And I'm reading through this story as I'm processing it. And I'm thinking, what happened to your availability, Moses? What happened to here I am? And at this point, God does get angry. And you either know the rest of this story or you can go back and read it. But God pairs him up with his brother Aaron and basically says, get on with it. This is happening. There are so many takeaways from this account of Moses and his response to God from this burning bush encounter. But when God reveals his plan and his mission, how exactly do we respond? And I'm going to confess something before you today. Uh, Several months ago, I was asked to consider bringing a team into an area of Southern Europe to engage with North Africans who don't know Jesus. And when I found the story of Moses... Man, it was spot on with the way I found myself responding to God. God, who who am I? God, there's still things that I want to know about you. I'm not, I'm just not as educated as I want to be yet. I'm I don't know you well enough. God, I these people, they're not gonna listen to eight Americans. They're not gonna give us the time of day. And I even said, God, how am I going to speak with them? I'm not a communicator. And that's my favorite response to give to God. And I might have even said, God, you you can find another team to do this. You know, this this is over 4th of July. There's going to be a church out there that this is perfect for them. And I found myself responding just like Moses And maybe for you, maybe God is saying, hey, I want you involved with my church. Get back in church. Get your family in my church. Get involved. Do you find yourself saying, here I am as a willing servant who is listening? Or do you find yourself saying, me? God, you want me involved with the church? What what if I go to church and I do get involved and I start leading a small group? Or what if I just start serving with children or I start serving with Fusion and Forge in the student ministry? What if I go on a global adventure? And what if somewhere in there, someone asks me a question, God, about you that I can't answer? Or God, what if someone just says, you take your family to church? What if people don't believe me that I'm involved in the church? Maybe for those of you, maybe God is speaking to you. And maybe for you, God is saying, hey, go to work tomorrow with a purpose. And I want you to share with people about the grace that I am freely offering them through Christ and his work on the cross. Maybe for some of you, God is saying, hey, go go back to school in a few weeks with a purpose. And I want you to share with people about the grace that I am freely offering them through the work of Christ on the cross. Is your response, here I am. Because you find Jesus worthy to leverage your entire life for. Or do you find yourself saying, seriously, God, me? Do you know what people are going to think about me? 
God, do you know the people that I work with? Do you know the people that I go to school with? And those are, those are two pretty funny questions to ask our creator. God, you know I love Jesus, but I'm just, I'm not good at articulating my love for Jesus. I, I'm just, I'm, I don't, I, maybe you can find someone else that would fit that role. Maybe for others, you've got to say, hey, you know what? Go and raise your children well. And you're in a season of diaper changing and bottles and it's hard, but God is saying, I will be with you. I am who I am and I will help you. Is your response to any of this? Here I am, God. My hands are up, my palms are open and I am willing to obey our worthy savior. Or do you just list excuse after excuse like I have often found myself doing? If we jump ahead, all the way into the New Testament. Christ dies on the cross. He defeats death. He rises from the dead. And before he ascends into heaven, he spends time with his disciples. And we know that he gave a very specific plan and mission to those who would truly follow him. And we know that he even used the word go when he said, go and make disciples. And when we study that even deeper, the passage that we call the Great Commission We actually know that Jesus was saying, as you go, make disciples. As you go to work tomorrow, make disciples. As you go back to school, make disciples. As you parent and you raise your children, make disciples. As you coach sports, as you travel, as you sign up for marathons and you ride all the sweet bike trails in Northwest Arkansas, as you wine and dine in the community, as you foster, as you adopt, as you teach, as you care for the poor and the sick and the hurting, and as you serve in the church, make disciples. God has a plan and a mission. And one thing that I could never get over with that nine and 10 year old baseball team that I coached was how big the smallest little decision could impact not just the game, but the entire season. Games are won and lost on account of a called strike or a ball. And more than anything, when a coach says go and a runner doesn't go, the impact maybe while not immediately felt, it changes everything. It can change everything. Our Grace Point team that went to Southern Europe, we experienced God in ways that I've never experienced before. And people are like, man, you've been on a ton of mission trips. Let me tell you, we experienced God in ways I've never experienced before. And if you wanna come hear more about it, we have something that we call a Global Adventure 360 tonight at five o'clock in the cafe, where we take a look at every aspect, every perspective of the trip. But through our team, God used us to get his word into the hands of nearly 2,000 North Africans who don't know Jesus and are returning home to nations of people who don't know Jesus, unreached people groups, don't even have the Bible in their own language to read. And if they did, might be persecuted if they're even found with it. God has a plan and a mission. And when I said that at the beginning of this message, it was followed with a question. Where are you? Do you find yourself 
justifying all the reasons why God should use someone else for the very thing that he's been prompting you to do. God has a plan and a mission. Go. Father, God, I'm asking you to continue being patient with us. God, as you have spoken to some of us time and time and time again, and we find ourselves responding just like Moses and justifying all of these lame excuses as to why, God, you should just pick someone else. God, thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. Thank you that we don't have to be overwhelmed with the past sin that is in our life when we find ourselves in your presence. And God, thank you for using us, a broken, sinful people that Jesus came and restored and redeemed and made perfect and righteous. God, thank you for using us in your plan and your mission as we go and as we live to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. Father, may your word today, man, may it pierce us. May we leave this place with intentionality to live on mission for you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.